My name is Cynthia, and I am a new Covenant member here at the well. Uh, praise God. <laughs> I am part of the Nordic CG, and today I'll be reading from Psalm 150 in Spanish. Hallelujah. Alabado sea el Señor. Alaben a Dios en su santuario. Alábenlo en su poderoso firmamento. Alábenlo por sus proezas. Alábenlo por su inmensa grandeza. Alábenlo con sonido de trompeta. Alábenlo con el arpa y la lira. Alábenlo con panderos y danzas. Alábenlo con cuerdas y flautas. Alábenlo con címbalos sonoros. Alábenlo con címbalos resonantes. Que todo lo que respira alabe al Señor. Aleluya. Alabado sea el Señor. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Beautiful saints, how are we? Uh, I already told you I'm a little bit overwhelmed uh, with emotion just over the past few weeks, uh, really being able to uh, be able to regather again as the people of God. And I know that we're not fully, fully there yet. There's still some things that are a little bit restrained or not everybody's fully back. And yet we're moving in that direction, which is just really encouraging. So I want to say, hey, thank you for being here. Uh, for fighting for community, for fighting for worship, for uh, just being present with the people of God. It's encouraging even to my own souls. And so I love you guys. It is encouraging to be back together as the people of God and to think about God and to worship God together. And so I hope that your souls are encouraged and spurred on and uh, that you would be built up even over the course of this gathering. So God is good. Ooh, half the people were ready, half y'all sleeping. God is good? All the time? Some of y'all like, what just happened? Okay, look, I feel like singing, which makes sense, okay, because today uh, we are talking about preaching and singing, uh, and as we begin to regather as the people of God, this week and next week, we're going to be looking at the importance of worship and what is going on when we gather together as the people of God. Why does it matter? Like, why are we here right now? Like, it's nice outside. We could just be uh, strolling on Town Lake or something, and yet here we are as the people of God. Why does this matter? What is happening and, and why should we be fighting for this as a people of God? Because uh, after a year, it can be really easy to forget the benefits of being able to gather. It could be forget, forgetful to remember about preaching and singing and what that does and being present with the people of God, how that begins to move our hearts we can mistakenly grow so spiritually callous that we do not notice our lack of sensitivity to God's movement or to God's voice. And that often happens as we gather as the people of God. We begin to hear God move and we see him in the life of each other and we walk in a spirit of, of godliness even, of holiness. We are sanctified as we gather as the people of God. It is why God commands this throughout the scriptures in fact, it's why he frees the people of Egypt. If you go look at that story, it's not just about their oppression, not just about the one thing that God cares about above all other things is that they would be able to worship his name. It says that, uh, let the people go that they may worship me on the mountain. And then we see it again in the book of Nehemiah, which we just got out of, the building of the wall. All of that was so that the people of God would be able to worship 
It was the reason that they were building that. And this is where we are formed into Christ's likeness. And we see this throughout the New Testament even. We see we're formed into the image of Christ as we gather together as the people of God. You know, in Western culture, we tend to have a very individualistic understanding of spirituality. Not so with the Bible. The Bible recognizes that we need each other to transform each other into the image of Christ. And that as we are with one another, then we begin to see Christ more clearly. And so much of this happens at the gathering of God's people. Because when we gather, y'all, we serve together. And we begin to reflect our God who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. When we gather, there's fellowship with one another. And we begin to model our triune God who exists in perfect fellowship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, forever dwelling in unity. We do that when we gather together. We model our God who's a giver. As we give of our time, our talent, our treasures, our God gave himself to us. And we model this as we gather. We witness and we commune and we worship and we submit and we teach and we exhort and we sing and we celebrate God's goodness. So much of what it means to be a Christian is practiced with others. And so much of that happens at the gathering of God's people And one of the main things that is going on at the gathering of God's people is the preaching of the word of God. Throughout the New Testament, we actually see the importance of the communication of God's word because it's God's word that gives us life. It is God's word where we find balm, healing for our souls in the time of need. In fact, it is God's word that made creation come into existence and not just original creation, but new creation because you were saved when you heard the word of God. The word of God, it begins to move in our hearts and it recreates life. And so when we submit to and listen to and feast on the word of God, it flourishes our souls. And this is one of the things that happens at the gathering. In fact, so many of you are probably saved at a church gathering because that's what happens when the people of God gather together. And Paul, as he's discipling his young protege, Timothy, he realizes the importance of this. And in Paul's last letter, you can flip to 2 Timothy, it's the last thing that Paul ever penned. And as he's literally dying, he knows that he's on death row. He is going to be executed. He emphasizes the importance of the word of God over and over and over again. And so look at a couple of these passages with me. In 2 Timothy, beginning in chapter two, verse 15. He says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. He goes on in chapter three. In verse 16, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In chapter four, verse two, he says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Working backwards here, look at some of the texts there. He tells Timothy in the last chapter he ever wrote, preach the word. This is Paul's last chapter, and he's like, you better preach, young buck, right? Should you preach when people wanna hear it? Yes, you should. Should you preach when people don't wanna hear it? Yes, you should there as well. In season and out of season, he says, you better preach, preacher. And you reprove and you rebuke at times when it is hard and you exhort or encourage at times when balm is needed. Deliver the word of God. Why? 
because it equips us for every good work. Chapter three tells us it is from God, in fact. In fact, this is that it is profitable, which is so very true. Now, think about it. If every time you came into church, you got $4,000, you got a little stimmy check, you know what I'm saying? And every time you run up in here, you got $4,000, would you be at church? Yes, right? In fact, some of y'all was like calling up the government like, hey, did you count all my kids on my stimulus check? I got one in the womb, I need you to count them too, right? Like, like, yes, of course we would be here. Some of us wouldn't miss a single time, but we have something more sure and more profitable than $4,000. You see, the wealth that you got there, it can only clothe your body, but we are listening to words right now that can clothe your soul that can wash you and cleanse you and make you brand new. This is profitable, Paul says. It breathes a life, not just momentary life, but eternal life if we would believe these and if we would walk according to the word of God. It redeems and it delivers and it calms and it comforts. It is a way by which you heard the gospel and why if you are a believer in Jesus, you will live forever. It's because of the word of God. I wish I had a few witnesses to this truth this, this afternoon. Oh, yeah. The rest of the sermon is you, all right? Because look, it's righteousness, okay? We should rightly handle In fact, Chuck Swindoll, who's a pastor and a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, says this about scripture and preaching. He says, the word of God is penetrating and poignant and convicting and comforting all at the same time. The exposition of the scripture exposes hypocrisy, offends the self-righteous, and at the same time encourages the weary and the wounded Nothing else can pierce the thick veneer of our facades like the Bible. As the author of the book of Hebrews reminds us, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That is why the church must include the bold delivery of the word of God. Its proclamation is essential for life and godliness. We won't receive truth to live by from our culture. We don't get any insight into eternity from these savage times. Even our educational institutions, while they train us to make a living, do not prepare us to make a life. Only the word of God does that. Amen. The preaching of the word of God is important for us. However, the word isn't just about us knowing God and beginning to kind of be moved intellectually. The preaching of God's word is actually an extension of worship throughout the scriptures. Preaching is an act of worship, not just for the preacher, but for us as the listeners. We collectively submit to God's word together and ask that God would transform our hearts and allow us to walk in the goodness of the gospel. That is part of what's going on at the sitting under of God's word. This is why I wanna to continue to implore you as a people of God that you would actually speak during this time, like that you would say things. That's why I looked right there. Keep talking. <laughs> Communicate, because it's actually an extension of worship. Listen, everything that we do when we gather is to worship our God. And as we serve and as we fellowship and as we give and as we do all these things, it's to worship God's name. And when we worship, we tend to respond we show that because we worship a lot of things and it moves our emotions and moves us towards a response. And so we are worshiping when we are in God's word. This is not a seminary class for us to learn from. It's a worship gathering to recenter our hearts around Christ. This is what's happening. Now look, I told y'all before, I grew up Pentecostal, right? And so it was nothing to, in the middle of the sermon, see somebody running down the aisle, it's like, yo, they feeling the word, right? 
And then I, I kind of stepped out of Pentecostal church and went into some more conservative circles, and I was like, I don't know if these people love Jesus. <laughs> and then I realized that they just responded instead of running down the aisle, they were like, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's what, that, that's what they were praise worshiping with their hands, all right? But a lot of y'all are a lot more charismatic than you be acting. And so, amen, yes, that's good. Preach, hallelujah, praise God. I want to encourage this. Because this is a time of worship. What we're doing right now, it's a time of worship. We are gathering to worship our God, and very few things should invoke worship like hearing the conviction, the beauty, the joy, and the redemption that is found in God's word. That's the part you can say amen at, by the way. I hear you, I hear you. you. In fact, think about the Psalms, right? It's a worship book to God. And I want you to think about, as we're going through the Psalms real quick, the longest chapter in the Bible and the longest Psalm is Psalm 119, and the whole thing is about the Word of God. The Word of God means so much to David, he's moving him in worship in very clear ways. Or you can go to Psalm 19, 100 Psalms earlier, and I want to read that for us real quick, because after David is thinking about the creation, he begins to think about the Word of God by which the creation was created And beginning in verse seven, he says this. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Look at what the word of God is. As you go throughout this text, it says that the word of God is perfect, and it is sure, and it is right, and it is pure, and it is clean, and it is true, and enduring, and righteous, and desirable, and on and on and on. There's this love for the Word of God because the Word of God does so much for us, y'all. And not only is it these things, but then he goes on, look at what the Word of God does. It says it revives us, or makes us wise, or rejoices our heart. That is what is happening when we are gathering together, listening to the Word of God. And when David was singing this, not writing this, as he was singing this, he was not like, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Like, that ain't what he's doing, y'all. Like, this is the same man that danced and ended up naked because he was dancing so hard. And he wasn't drunk when he did that either, by the way. He loves the law of the Lord. He loves God. The word of God is powerful, and we should respond to it. Amen? Yes, you're free to respond because what you're doing in this moment is you are physically demanding your heart to believe the truth that it is hearing. And when you are responding in singing or in the preaching of God's word, you're telling your physical body that what you are hearing spiritually is true and that it should submit to it and and run along with it. You are uh, participating in the worship of God with the people of God together. And that's what happens with the word of God, the preaching of God. It keeps us straight, the scripture says. It uplifts our souls. It washes our wounds. It cleanses us from evil. It rejoices our sorrows. It comforts us in our brokenness. It sits down and is patient with us in our lamenting. It directs our steps. It guides our life. The word of God points us to the one who is the word of God, Christ. And it is beautiful 
And that's one of the many ways that we are gathered together. And the difference between a podcast and a gathering, by the way, is that you're joining in the love of the word of God with hundreds of others, which is powerful to our souls. The God to gathering was one thing, praise God for that season, but it's not this. Because we are with one another encouraging each other of the beauty of God and what it means for us. And we then, like the angels in Isaiah chapter six, we begin to proclaim to one another the beauty of God and realize in that passage, the angels are singing to one another. And they're talking about holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's like they're trying to build one another up. That's what's happening as the gathering of the people of God. So we should be a responsive people There's so much more I can say about the word. I could go on, but for whatever reason, I decided to tackle two topics each of these next two weeks. I don't know why I did that, okay? So I gotta move on, but I wanna encourage you to end this time today and in the future of our worship gatherings to respond in worship, y'all, whatever that looks like for you, that you would be responding, but that you would be physically doing something that's reminding your spiritual uh, reality, the soul within you to come alive to recenter on Christ once again, because there are many, many, many words that you hear throughout the week that tell you what you should and what you shouldn't worship, but only these words have the words of eternality, the words of life, the word of God. And so let us respond to that with joy and wonder, amen? Okay, hey, the second thing I wanna hit on today is to remind us of, hey, when we're gathering, why are we singing? The singing of songs to God and the worship of God. Because right away, I think some of us will be tempted to be like, ah, I don't really sing very well, right? Or like, I, I don't really like to sing. I don't like singing. But when the Baylor Bear Boys won, you show was hype. At church, be looking Eastern Orthodox. Game day, be looking Pentecostal and Kojic, right? I ain't lying. I cap it not, okay? I like that. I'm going to start using that. Look, the Bible contains over 400 references to singing, We're actually commanded to sing over 50 times, which is way more than other commands that we diligently follow. We follow some commands that are mentioned like three or four times, and rightly so, because every single word of God is profitable, it says. This one is commanded 50 times that we would sing out to our God. The longest book in the Bible is a song Bible, like we already mentioned. Why all of this emphasis on singing then? Why does the scripture put so much value in the singing of songs to God? Maybe it's because God loves you and God created you and God knows what will help age, shape, mold, and form you into his image more and more. One of the predominant ways that he does this is through the singing of songs and the worship of our God with the people of God because singing, like the word of God, is transformational, y'all. It does really beautiful things to our souls. It is participation with Christ in really clear ways. We're rejoicing at his person and at his work. It's actually one of the many times that we use our physical bodies during the gathering. We do that as well in communion, which we'll actually talk about next week. But the reason it's being commanded that we use our bodies is because God created our bodies. And he knows that the spiritual and the physical are not as separated as our Western minds would like to think. They're more unified than we realize. And when we sing with our bodies, we're demanding our soul to believe the truths that we know in our head, yet have a hard time believing with our hearts. Singing does beautiful things. And listen, I want to just run through the benefits of singing real quick. I thought this week I was just thinking about all the passages that I knew about singing, and there are probably hundreds of others that I don't know in the scripture, 
But I literally wrote them down. They were actually up on the screen a second ago. Can you throw those back up for me? But look at all these things, all this different scripture that is highlighting what singing does. It unifies the church. It's an expression of our mind, heart, soul, and body or strength. It fuels our love for God. It aids in our obedience. It helps us to remember God's word and God's works. Which, by the way, there's scriptures for all of these. Like Deuteronomy 31 is what says that. It fuels our doctrine and devotion. It helps us look forward, Revelation chapter 5 says, to look towards the day that we are going to. It helps us fight spiritual battles, literally delivers us from evil spirits at times. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It roots us in the word. It builds up others. It's evangelistic, Psalm 105, in words and evangelistic, in witness, in our emotions even. Because when people see us responding, they're going, man, they must really believe this. There must be something to this God. It helps you withstand trials. It produces love, hope, peace, and joy. When it's done right, it fosters diversity. We see in the book of Revelation, in singing, we make prayers with our hearts and our minds while also proclaiming the truth about who God is. The great African theologian Augustine says, he who sings prays twice. I love that. In singing, we tell our souls of something more sure than our emotions or our thoughts or the seasons that we may be in. Look, y'all, in singing, there is healing. In singing, there is confession. In singing, there is transformation. Singing is important. Because in an age of constant distraction, very few things draw the heart, soul, mind, and strength to attention like singing does. Because we're so distracted with so many other things, but singing tries to recenter us on the truth of God, and it speaks to our soul. And through song, we're commanding our hearts to be focused on our God. Singing is important. Y'all not with me. Come on. Remember the talking thing? We can talk. Y'all talk, talk, talk. <laughs> Look at some of these passages here real quick. Psalm chapter 95, I want to pick it up in verse 1. It says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are his people of his pasture, the sheep of his hands. I mean, shoot, y'all, that preaches itself, don't it? What does it say? It says make a joyful noise, right? This means that you do not have to have a great voice. You just have to have a happy voice, right? Now, look, just because you have a happy voice don't mean you're going to be on the worship team, though, okay? Because just because you happy don't mean we want to hear you sing, all right? But just because we might not like your voice, God does. Look at your neighbor and say, God likes your voice. Look, y'all ain't talking. I'm going to force it, okay? Why do we do this? Why do we do this? It's because he is God, the text says. That's why we worship, because he's God, He's the worthy one, the holy one, the one who is worthy of all honor and glory and praise, and our singing is giving that to him. He is worthy. In verse 2, it says that we were to come into his presence with, with something, right? We should come into his presence. Now, in the ancient world, when you went into the presence of a king, you always brought a gift to that king. And so what gift can you give a holy and a perfect God? Your heart. Your worship, 
And the crazy thing is, is he accepts it. I mean, that's profound, isn't it? We bring our worship to him, and we express this in our singing, in our serving, our submitting to the word of God, and in our singing to God, our king. You know, often we think about church as what we can get out of it. And that is true to an extent, y'all. Like sometimes we want to be, oh, no, I don't, no, 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 we should be receiving. We come so that we can receive edification and encouragement, that we can be built up, that we can have relationships that last, that we can be spurred on with one another to love and good deeds, to be nurtured, etc. All that comes when we gather as the church of Christ. However, the church isn't just built upon what we receive, not even primarily is that the function of the church, it's really about what we can give as a sacrifice and a gift of worship to our God. Don't miss that. It's not about what we can give to our local church. It's about what we give to our universal God, the one who is over the entire universe, the only true God, the one who is worthy of our praise, the one who is worthy of our worship and of our attention, of our adoration. And as we give our our hearts and our minds and our talents, we're transformed into the image of Christ, which ironically is the greatest thing that we can receive anyway, Christ-likeness. You know, there's that phrase, you can't outgive God. And that's true. But we usually only apply that financially. But you cannot outgive God. And so when you come to give to God, ready to come into his courts with a song of praise, as you are trying to give worship to God, God ends up giving himself to you, and you receive far more than you can give. You receive Christ himself. And this spurs and nurtures and transforms us into the image of Christ. Look at Psalm chapter 47, verse 6 as well. It says this. It says, sing praises to God. Sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. Or look at Psalm 96, beginning in verse one. It says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Look y'all, seven times in just three verses, the Holy Spirit commands us to sing to bless his name, to worship God. Why? Because he is good. When you sing, you're reminding your soul of truths that it so easily forgets. When you sing, you're evangelizing your heart once again. You're moving yourself to believe the truth that you know to be true most of the time, but that it's hard to remember as the week goes on. Like, why do you think I tell my wife, Natalie, that I love her so much? Part of it's for her, because I want her to believe that and to receive that. But part of it is actually for me, because when I say it, I'm reminded of the truth that I know is in my heart, and yet the busyness of this world and life tries to rob me from at times, and I re-fall in love again. Plus, every time I say it, we tend to keep having kids. (laughs) That's worship. And listen, the more you sing, the more intimate with God you'll become as well. Don't miss the joke with the truth. (laughs) The more you tell God you love him, the more intimate with him you'll be, y'all. It will do something to your soul as well. Can I keep going? Because look, this isn't just in the Psalms either, which even if it were, that would be enough, because I done skipped over like 80 dope songs that talk about worshiping, all right? 
But as we go into the New Testament, we see this over and over again as well. In fact, go to Ephesians chapter five. And Ephesians chapter five, it'll be there on the screen as well, verse 18. It says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Or in Colossians chapter three, verse 16, it says that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart towards God. Make melody with your heart, that text says, That means get your emotions evolved in it. Our God is not just an intellectual God that desires our brain, though that is true as well, but he is also an emotional God who desires our heart, lest we forget about all the times that we see God angry or weeping or joyful. Our God wants our heart as well because we were made in his image, and when we respond with our emotions, we're responding like God does. He wants our hearts as well. The word of Christ, it does so much. How do we get it to dwell? How do we get it to live here, it says? Well, through preaching, that's part one, teaching, and then through singing, it says. That's how the word of Christ dwells richly. Like, how often do you leave church singing a lyric, like a chorus or something like that? Do you know that we deliberately pick songs that are laced with scripture so that as you leave this place, you're washing yourself with the word of God? We think about it purposely because we want the word of God to dwell in you richly. And as you sing, you're transformed into the image of Christ because your mind is fixed on him. That's why you so often hear the spirit of God speak to you in the worship gathering. I mean, how many of you have felt called or, or that God has brought healing or he's literally spoken to you as you're worshiping? It's because you're centering yourself on him again. And you hear his voice as you are singing songs to him. Our God doesn't need us to sing, by the way, lest we start tripping in here, because he created a lot of angels who are probably a million times better than each of us, especially than some of us. (laughs) And they sing to him day and night. God doesn't need you to sing. You need you to sing. But he does delight in it. And when you sing, he receives it, y'all. And it's a beautiful act of worship. Singing transforms us. And one of the reasons it transforms us is because our God himself is a singer. You serve a singing God. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, it says that when the congregation is gathered, it's not Anthony, it's not Madison or anybody else leading us in worship. It's actually Christ himself, it says, that he comes down in our midst and begins to orchestrate worship amongst the congregation. Or even go to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse uh, 17. Y'all didn't think we was going to be in Zephi today, did you? Little Zephi, I see you. Zephaniah 3, 17. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. See, charismatic. Our God be getting his praise dance on. That's what that is, right? How wonderful is this, y'all? Think about the reality of this. God is singing and he's dancing over what? Over you. You who walked in here this morning not feeling worthy of God's affection or love, he's singing over you. 
You who are in consistent sin and are unable to wrestle that thing down in your life, your God is singing over you. You who feel weary and dry, your God is singing over you. When we sing, we are imaging God, and therefore we are being transformed into God's likeness because we serve a singing God. Hallelujah, y'all. This is good news. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, he says this. He says, if God sings, shall we not sing? He did not sing when he made the world. No, he looked upon it and simply said that it was good. The angels sang, the sons of God shouted for joy. Creation was very wonderful to them, but it was not much to our God who could have made thousands of worlds by his mere will. Creation could not make him sing. What became of it in the salvation of his redeemed, then he rejoiced after a divine manner. Talk that talk. God looks upon you with love and has affection over you and then invites you to sing with him as he's singing over you. We serve a singing God and we actually fellowship with God in song because God is singing. And so then we fellowship with him and we get connected to Christ. That's why you hear his voice. That's why singing is so important. That's why it means so much, and the corporate singing matters so much more than the song that we sing in the car to ourselves. I was over here on the way singing uh, to a worship song, and as I was singing, it was dope. And then I got in here, and real talk, all of a sudden, all these things started happening. So we were supposed to stream the two o'clock gathering, and then, of course, the equipment messed up because Satan, it lives in technology. (laughs) If you've ever served on the worship team, you know that. And then all of a sudden, I realized that uh, the guy who I was supposed to introduce, Scott, was coming up, but he wasn't the lead pastor. I was supposed to introduce Luke. So the whole time, I've had Luke in my head. Luke, Luke, Luke. Don't forget this dude. And then I got up, and I was like, what is this man's name? (laughs) Sorry, Scott, if he's still in here, right? I I just kind of forgot. And I'm thinking about that, and and then I'm thinking about uh, where we're at, and, and all of a sudden, I had to use this handheld instead of our lapel because it was broken, and every time I use this lapel now, I call it the Britney because that's apparently what people call it, the Britney Spears mic. But then I sit in the last gathering, and I was like, oh, I had the Britney on, and I was like, that sounds awful. That sounds like you get fired, all right? So I'm thinking about all these other things, and am I worshiping at this moment, y'all? No, right? I'm distracted. And then I was sitting there and I looked over and I saw Tim Eagy with his hands raised up to God and I started crying because I remembered the goodness of God. There's something that the corporate gathering does, y'all. Not only do we fellowship with God, we fellowship with one another. In that moment, I was fellowshipping and I was remembering the goodness of God. He was evangelizing my heart again. That's what happens at the corporate gathering. We become witnesses of God to one another. And this is why singing is why preaching is so important, y'all. And listen, can we, can we keep it a band? All of this, all of this means nothing if it is not perfected in the true and better worship leader, Jesus Christ. Because none of us keep this command as we should. None of us follow this to perfection, but Jesus was our great worship leader in our place. In fact, in uh, Mark chapter uh, 14, verse 26, I, I love this. It says, and when they had sung a hymn, all right, 
No, Mark 14, only has 16 chapters. He's about to go be crucified. The Mount of Olives is the place where he's going to surrender himself. And it says, they sang a hymn, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. Even on the way to the cross, Jesus sang. And if Jesus could sing as he is paying for the sins of the world, and if he can have his soul feast on the wrath of God and yet still sing, can we not sing in times of trial? How much more in times of victory? And in times of joy, if Jesus is singing, then there's got to be something to this, y'all. There's got to be some sort of intimacy, some sort of connection, some sort of discipleship, some sort of transformation that happens when we sing songs to our God. Because we are being conformed into the image of our Son who is a singing God. Not only does the Father rejoice over us, so does the Son. He sings. And if spiritual maturity is being transformed into the image of Christ, you serve a singing God, we are to be a singing people. Jesus is singing as an example for us. He's also preaching as an example for us. If you go to the scriptures, you see in every one of them, Jesus is quoting scripture on the way to the cross. He's proclaiming the word of God even as he is about to go be crucified. Why? Because he's our example. Not only is he our example, though, but he's also our fulfillment. Because in his singing, in his submitting to the Holy Scriptures, submitting himself even to death, even to the wrath of God, because he knows it's the will of God as is laid out in Scripture, there's a fulfillment that's happening here for us. Because when you and I do not respond the way that we should, we had someone who did it perfectly on our behalf. Jesus Christ sang his heart out as he was crucified and he preached the gospel. If nobody else heard it, his soul did. And he proclaimed and he sang and he preached even at death on the cross. But not only does he then fulfill for us and give us this righteousness so that we, when we fail, we are covered by his blood, but then he forgives and he resurrects and he placed his Holy Spirit inside of us who is consistently praying for us, consistently singing on our behalf and consistently preaching the truth of the gospel to our souls. He convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and he reveals the word of God to us. So even now, we begin to walk in the fulfillment of what Christ did on our behalf, but we can be uh, like Christ. We can begin to be like him. And we can sing and we can preach with our God. So let's submit to the Spirit's work and walk in this as we are being transformed into the image of Christ. Amen? Let me end with a little analogy for us. About a year ago, um, I bought a new car. By new car, it was a 2017, okay? So, y'all ain't paying me like that. It was really new to me, though, because I've never had a car with less than six figures, not six figures cash, six figures like 150,000 miles on it, okay? So whenever I owned the car, it was like 162,000. I'm like, if this bad boy lasts 30,000 miles, I'm praise dancing all over this hood, right? Anyway, so I got a Hyundai Elantra, all right? Ain't nothing sweet, y'all. It's a little tiny car, okay? I'm 6'4", I'd be in that bad boy like, eh, right? But anyway, it was brand new to me, and so the first thing I did was I put a sound system in it, okay? Because, you know. And I literally, I got a brand new car, and Osagi, who cut my hair, was like, yo, that's a new car? And I was like, yeah. He was like, oh, cool, bro. He ran, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I was like, oh, yeah, get in. Got in, turned the sound up. He was like, what is this? I'd be forgetting where you from, dog. And I'm like, I know you do, okay? Anyway. That has nothing to do with the story. So I put a little sound system in it, right? And what happened was I started driving, and like three weeks later, I was like, yo, I ain't been to the gas station. 
did I buy an electric car on accident, right? Anyway, I realized my tank is almost on empty, so I go to fill it up. This bad boy has like a 10-gallon tank, all right? And now I had only had like mid-sized cars that were like built in 2001, so they're like gas guzzlers, right? They just be drinking that fuel, like college students just be drinking, right? And anyway, so here I am with this new car, and I got, finally go to the gas station. I finally fill it up, and then it lets me keep going because that's what you do with cars. You fill it up or you at least plug it in, and it recharges it, and it keeps on going, right? That is what the corporate gathering is. It's our gas station, our refuel system. And some of us, look, we can make it even a whole week. We're like the fuel-efficient cars, And we go from one Sunday to the next and we're feeling good. Look, some of us know good and well by Tuesday or Wednesday, our soul is depressed again. And we need to refill. And when we gather together as the people of God, we are the fuel for one another. And as we look to Christ, we begin to exalt him together. And it carries us and it charges us and it fuels us up to allow us to continue to run with the mission that God has for each of us. The corporate gathering is like a gas station. It's really important. You don't want to end up on the side of the road. And a lot of us are confused as to why when you're 40 or 50 years old, there's a lot of dead cars on the side of the road with no faith left. A lot of that happens because there is a neglect of the gathering. This isn't the only thing, but it is one of the main ways that we are built up into the image of Christ. And here we give worship to our God, and it is better to give than it is to receive. But as we give, we get God. And so let us give to the Lord our God that we might receive the Lord our God. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this truth. In fact, God, I, I want to just, I want to pray and read your scripture, which our sister Cynthia already read for us. I want to read Psalm 150 again. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God, I thank you that we can praise you. We can worship you. We can exalt in you. We can sing to you. You should not accept our songs. God, yet you do. And so God, I pray even right now for people in here who may not have a relationship with you. They may hear about this God who sings over them and yet have never received that song in their heart. I pray that today, friend, if this is you, that you would realize that our God longs for a relationship with you and that you can have it. If you simply say, yes, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to place my faith in you. I want to, I want to, to, to be your son. I want to be your daughter. Then you can have the forgiveness of sin and you can have the song of God over you and one day he will sing over you eternally. 
And God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for all of us who have placed our faith in you in this way. Would we sing? Would we look towards eternity where we are joining with you in singing? What is this? That we would get to sing not just to you, but with you. And so God, even right now, would we sing? Would we love the word of God? Would we hear the word of God? And would we sing the word of God to you? Would we lift you up? Would we offer our praise and our worship to you? Would we offer our songs as a sacrifice? Would we worship you for you are worthy? You are worthy. You are worthy. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in your beautiful name, Christ. Amen.